Hey there, you're listening to St. Tim's Anglican Bible Church's Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information on our church and where to find us, please visit our website at stimitysabc.org. So today we'll be focusing on everybody's favorite book of the Bible, namely Leviticus. I mean, who here loves Leviticus? I mean, who doesn't, right? Today, I want to make, uh, to want to more specifically meditate on the topic of worship and draw a parallel between worship in the Old Covenant and in the New Covenant worship. Here we are every week. We come together on the Lord's Day to worship. Yet, we don't stop very often to think about what we do and why we're doing it. I think we can all agree if if we call ourselves St. Timothy Anglican Bible Church, we should make sure that our worship is rooted in the Bible. Once one of my Reformed Presbyterians said, you know, because we're a fallen creature, the number one thing that we're most inclined to corrupt is worship. And I think he's got a really good point. We have to stay on guard against bad idea that may be creeping up in our music, in our liturgy, and the way we do everything at church, Lord. So I hope that this sermon will be an encouragement to everyone and, and will be transformative by the renewing of our mind about worship. So what prophet is there to study Leviticus? That's Old Covenant, Old Testament stuff, right? We don't sacrifice goats or bulls anymore. The old sacrificial system was abolished, and if we weren't sure, we can just look at the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. So this is completely, there is no longer sacrifices as with the Old Covenant. So why should we study Leviticus? Well, Paul said in 2 Timothy, all scriptures is given by inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So the Bible tells us that there's something to be learned here. So the book of Leviticus starts with this. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him. I think it's important whenever we read the Old Testament and we hear about God speaking, we should automatically link that Jesus is the word of God. Whenever God speaks, it is Jesus speaking. Jesus is the one teaching Moses about worship. And worship is a big topic, you know, and people have a lot of different opinion. We can debate until the cow comes home about what is or what is not appropriate during worship. But I think at the end of the day, it's important that it is the Bible and not the patterns of this world that is informing our worship. God revealed in scriptures how he acts when he draws his people to him. By paying attention, I think we can distill some patterns that are chock full of insights into what worship is and how it reveals Christ. 
So let's jump into Leviticus. Uh, Moses, as a little background for Leviticus, Moses has an encounter with God on the top of Mount Sinai. And then he was instructed to build the tabernacle according to the pattern that he's seen on the mountain. He was in the glory cloud back then, so he was in communion with God there. So he saw something. And half of Exodus, I don't know if you remember, you read the Old Testament, it's really exciting. It's all of those really exciting story, and then vlam, right in the middle of Exodus, you're just stuck with a whole bunch of instruction on how to build the tabernacle, and it's really long. And, and yet, a lot of people have spent a lot of time thinking about what this meant. And one of the big insights is that tabernacle is, in a way, a little portable Mount Sinai that is going to follow Israel in the wilderness. Now, in the context of the beginning of Leviticus is this, is that the building is built, everything is finished, right? But they, yet, they can't yet come in. The tabernacle, the tabernacle was to be consecrated by God first. And Leviticus 9 is, showcases the, the inaugural sacrifices. We have a brand new altar, brand new tent, brand new everything. And it's about to get bloody. Now, in Leviticus 9, there's a sixfold pattern of worship that we're going to quickly go over. And the, the patterns is call to worship, sin offering, ascension offering, tribute offering, peace offering, and blessing. So each step of those are in order. So they, they, every step of this pattern, they draw closer and closer to the tent of meeting, when where the Holy of Holy is, where God dwells. So there's a geographical progression from outside the camp into uh, inside the tabernacle. And there's an order and a rhythm to that pattern. So let's go through them really quickly and study them afterward in the light of Christ in our worship. So that's the first pattern. So they brought what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do, and the glory of the Lord will, will appear to you. So that's, that's the first pattern. God calls his people to himself. It's not Israel inviting themselves into God's presence. Moses was instructed by God to invite people to draw near to him. Makes sense. We're creatures, and creatures don't invite themselves into God's presence. Now the second, once people have entered, they drew near, this is the first thing they do. And Aaron took the goat, which was the sin offering for the people, and killed it, and offered it for sin. It's the second pattern of worship, dealing with sin. A goat is slain for the sin of the people. When they do that, they have the people laying their hands on the goat. And the laying down of hands in the Old Testament and New Testament is a form of transfer of identity. So whatever is happening to the goat is what ha is happening to the worshiper. Symbolically, of course. This offering for sin is a way to communicate that one has to die to sin. 
before coming into the presence of God. It's like wiping your feet at the door. You don't get to directly walk into the kitchen where your muddy boots on, right? So we see it all over the Bible. Whenever a prophet comes into the presence of God, they fall on their face with repentance. Listen to what Isaiah 6 says whenever he's caught into the Lord's presence unprepared. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So once sin is dealt with in the sin offering, Israel can move closer and participate into the burn offering. So the burn offering in Leviticus 9 says, Then he slaughtered the burnt offering. His son entered him the blood, and he splashed it over the sides of the altar. So this is the third pattern of worship. Ascension. And this is where the translation of the Bible is a little bit misleading because we translate it as burnt offering. But in Hebrew, the word for burnt offering is olah. And olah in Hebrew means that which rises up. And smoke in this case. We say burnt offering because this is what happens. What happens is that the animal is cut open with a sword, washed, and then burnt into smoke. Well, what's the point of that? Well, you need a visual. Look here. If we keep the simple principle that the animal is representing the worshiper, where does the smoke go? It rises to become one with the glory cloud. So the animal is becoming one with God, which represents Israel. Once that's done, Israel can now move even closer to the tabernacle with the tribute offering. So with the tribute offering, when anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil in it, and put frankincense on it. This is the fourth pattern. They offer the fruit of their labor. Here's the movement. The worshiper drew near, they died to sin, they ascend in God's presence, and then what's the next logical step? You bring a gift. You bring a gift to God whenever you come into his presence. So Israel brings a gift. And what's different about this offering is it actually has been worked on, right? It's fine flour. It's oil. And later on in Joshua, they say, whenever you come into the land and you have a little bit of rest, bring in the wine into that offering. So all of those are products of culture. And finally, once that's done, Israel can draw even closer to partake of the peace offering. So I didn't find any uh, representation of peace offering on Google Images, but I, I took this one here, and this is the fifth pattern. It's a meal with God, right? Shalem, the Hebrew word is plural, which means an abundance of it, and it's tied to fellowship, to friendship, to communion. It's a joyful celebration, and it's the only offering that is eaten. A part is given to the people, a part is given, is waved before the Lord, and another one for the priesthood. 
This is to reproduce what's happening on Exodus 24 on the top of Mount Sinai. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nebdab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heaven in its clarity. But on the noble of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand, and they saw God, and they ate and drank. So now that they had a meal with God and were celebrating, it was time to be sent out. And this is the last pattern of Leviticus 9. Then Aaron lifted up his hand towards the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offering. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle in meeting and came out and blessed the people. Now this, this one is the Aaronic blessing found in number six, which says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord makes his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, once this is done, this is the fascinating part at the end of Leviticus 9, finishes with this. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all people, and fire came down from heaven before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their face. Fire falls upon the fully consecrated altar. This one should make your wheel spin a little bit. Or have we seen this later on? So here's what was presented in the book of Leviticus, starting from outside. People draw near. The people are called by God. They die to sin, ascend into God's presence, offer the works of their hand, and have a meal with God, and then set out into the world. Each time they do this completely, they renew their covenant with God with Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. Now, what we're learning in Psalm 50 is that at one point, Israel's starting to have the wrong idea that somehow those sacrifices were to please God. Rather than God providing a graceful way for his people to draw near to him and him transforming them. Now, there's a few questions. Do you recognize some relationships between the patterns in Leviticus and what we do every week here? Question number two, do you, do you recognize some patterns between Leviticus and the work of Christ? So, I think the book of Hebrew is really the key to really unlock of what it really means for us as Christians and how the new covenant is built on this old covenant, but brings it to a whole new level. So, going to Hebrews 8. Now, this is the main point of things we're saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. Jesus a real man with a real body is now in heaven. He is our high priest, ministering for us in the sanctuary and the true tabernacle. Jesus is the high priest 
of our worship. Note here that the word minister in Hebrew here is liturgia. Jesus is liturgizing in heaven. He's like the ultimate worship leader. And he's the only mediator between God and man. And if we move on with Hebrews 8, for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest. Since, these, so since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serves a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was definitely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So, what does this mean? Jesus is in heaven directing the liturgy for us right now. He entered into the holy of holy by bearing his own blood and now intercedes for all humanity to the Father. What does it look like up there? Well, Moses was instructed to build the tabernacle according to the patterns he's seen up there. So the tabernacle in Leviticus is like a hint, like a clue as to what the real thing looked like. Now is the question, where are we, St. Timothy, when we worship? And where is Jesus? Are we living in a two-story universe? You know, Jesus is up there somewhere in heaven, and we're down here. Is heaven a place we only go when we die? Here's what Hebrew 12 says. For you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. And also, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of needs. So here, whenever we say, the Lord is here, and the congregation responds, his presence is with us. We mean it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are right here and right now lifted up to worship with Christ in the heavenly places. This is the teaching of the book of Hebrew. Do you remember when Elisha and Elijah, you know, there's, there's Elisha who's kind of frustrated and asking for God to open the eyes of Elijah and all of a sudden, Elijah sees the angels on the mountain. This is our situation right now. Imagine as if the roof of this church was completely blown off and were lifted up in worship to join the angels and the archangels with Jesus as our worship leader. This is what we should be seeing by faith and not by sight. What we should be striving for is to be as coherent as possible with the ultimate reality of what is happening here in spirit and in truth. We don't serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things like they did in the Old Testament. We actually participate in the real thing. 
Thank you. So every week at church, we have a call to worship. Just like Moses was instructed, God calls his people, and we are used by God to call the people of God to worship. In our liturgy, someone, usually Deacon Allen, but he's not here today, might say something as simple as, let us rise and give thanks to the Lord our God. We hear that and we respond in faithfulness and stand and sing. But it's important that, to recognize that it's not us calling, but God. Then we move on to deal with sin and repentance. Every week, God is calling us to repent. It's important to remember, like it says in the book of Hebrews, that it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Christ is the sin offering, offered on the cross once and for all. We don't need to sacrifice goat and bulls to purify the altar. We are the altar cleansed by the blood of Christ. Even after Christ atoned for sin on the cross, we're called as a people to repent. Think of the first thing that Jesus does in the book of Revelations. He announces presence and then asks John to write to the churches and calling them to repent. In the liturgy, we face the fact that we have broken our side of the covenant this week. We've sinned. But that God in his new covenant assures us of his forgiveness. This is, where we, this is why we hear the word of absolution, just in case we might forget that our sins are forgiven. Then to the next one, ascension with Christ. And this is my favorite, to be honest. Um, everything we ascend with Christ. And if we go back to the symbols shown in the burnt offering, the ascension offering in the Old Testament, what happens to the animal is that it's cut open completely, exposes his inside completely, then it's cleaned up, and then it's, it's burned to join the glory cloud. So how does the book of Hebrews understand the sacrifice? Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to division of soul and spirit and of joint and marrows, and is a discerner of thought and intents of the heart, and there is no creature creature in from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account, seeing then that we have a great high priest who passed through the heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast through a confession. Jesus is the ascension offering. We pass through the heavens into by the power of the word of God. This is how the book of Hebrew understand worship when we come together in worship. We, Christian, ascend into God's presence by hearing the word of God. In readings and in the sermon, the, words, the word cut through the hearts opens us up, cleanses us, and rises us up into his presence. Hearing the word is our consecration. It is not us doing it. It is God doing it to us. Here again, Revelation, connecting Jesus with the sword. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a two, 
a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Finally, a meal with God. Everything, every week we have a meal with God. The peace offering is a foreshadowing of the Lord's Supper. Christ is the peace offering that we partake in every week in the Lord's Supper. Jesus took bread, and when you have given thanks, he broke it and gave it to a disciple, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And, and that's where Leviticus is really interesting. The animal was broken and shared among the people to eat in a celebratory meal. The blood was then used to purify the altar and renew the covenant with God. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. In worship, through the Spirit, Jesus is sharing a meal with us. We're with him right now in his Father's kingdom. Finally, the Great Commission. Now being in a celebration with Christ in heaven, we might be tempted to want to stay here. Reminds me of Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's like, it's good to be here. Let us put some tents and stay. But Jesus ends up sending the apostle out into the world because they're demon-possessed children at the base of the mountain. In our liturgy, we always finish with a blessing and a commission. God sends us out into the world after a meeting with him. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Now I know that I covered a lot and it's an earful, but promise me I could keep going. <laughs> but let's wrap it up. I want to remind everyone of the main point of this sermon. Christ is the fulfillment of the old covenant worship. The Lord's service is God's service to us. And our response is a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. In worship, we're brought with Christ through the Spirit in the presence of God the Father. Every week, it is the triune God that calls us, assures us of our forgiveness, feeds us, and commissions us. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, hear our prayer, Lord. Help us whenever we come to worship you, to worship you in spirit and in truth, that whenever we lift up your name, Lord, that we do not in vain, but do it with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. Lord, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.